Hi everyone, thanks for joining us for episode 4 of the PCICS Challenging Cases podcast, where we discuss interesting or challenging cases in pediatric cardiac critical care with the providers from the institutions where they took place. Now, before we start, a little housekeeping. First, you can find more information about the Pediatric Cardiac Intensive Care Society at our website at pcics.org. You can find lots of resources there or become a member. Also, don't forget to please subscribe to this podcast on Google Play, iTunes, or Stitcher. Today, Dr. Mary Taylor, Chair of Pediatrics and a Pediatric Cardiac Intensivist at Children's of Mississippi, will be discussing a reverse order staging of single ventricle palliation out of necessity, Southern Glen followed by Northern Fontan, with Dr. Ali Dodge-Katani, Chief of Pediatric and Congenital Heart Surgery at Children's of Mississippi. They have no disclosures, but this is all completely novel, so don't try this at home without expert consultation. So, Dr. Dodge-Katami, this was an interesting case um, that we together had the experience of taking care of and um, wanted to ask you a few questions about your thought processes in choosing this surgical approach. Um, so tell me a little bit about the case that inspired you to proceed with this unconventional approach to single ventricle palliation. Um, thank you, uh, Dr. Taylor. The, I think th there's a bit of an um, introduction to this actually wasn't the first case that uh, we did uh, with this unconventional approach, which ended up using some prosthetic material that was required to do an extracardiac um, IVC to PA connection given the long distance. We actually did this case uh, in 2006 with a colleague of mine in Zurich in a baby that had uh, LTGA dextrocardia single ventricle physiology in whom, for whatever reason, the IVC was so long uh, that we actually managed to do a direct IVC native tissue to tissue to PA connection. Um, unfortunately, I don't have any follow-up on that uh, baby and if that was successful uh, going on to a Fontan or not, but uh, that idea came to me a little bit after that one case. Uh, in this particular case, though, I think it came out of necessity, meaning that the upper body systemic venous anatomy was so poor with the thrombosed suprivena cava that we really had no good choices to do a standard suprivena cava to pulmonary artery connection as we would for bidirectional gland. And given you know the choices, they would be either to attempt a very high risk gland and then maybe have to do a gland takedown and go back to a shunted physiology mm -hmm. or just leave the baby with shunted physiology and upgrade with a larger shunt, which, as you know, has its own drawbacks. So the inspiration was a little bit out of necessity in having our backs to mm -hmm. the wall in, in this particular child. Mm -hmm. uh, um, you know, Dr. Glenn, I think, had attempted this in an animal model. Is that right? Correct. Yeah, he did it in, uh, in dogs for quite a while before he came up with what you know used to be the classic Glenn operation. Um, he was actually, it's interesting, he did this operation in quite a few dogs uh, at Yale using the inferior vena cava to pulmonary artery approach and all of the dogs died from intract intractable ascites. He couldn't get a single one hmm. to survive and at some point he initially used the azicus vein and had a couple of survivors and then went to the next step which was to use the which was to use the supravena cava and then he had survivors and based on that successful model uh, 
we inherited what mm -hmm. we do uh, nowadays as a standard in, in children. Uh, why he couldn't get a single dog to survive is a little mm -hmm. bit unknown. I think, um, although we have to definitely first go through animal models before we start new operations in children, all you know, various species, their physiology doesn't necessarily, mm -hmm. um, how do you say, translate into humans and vice versa. Maybe another analogy would be uh, the Fontana operation. Even today, there is not a single article in the English language of all the experimentations that have been done, including by Fontana himself, who used dogs, sheep, goats, to do the Fontana operation. There is not a single chronic animal model that exists, hmm. and yet Fontana did it in a kid, and, and he, obviously he survived. Survived, and that's, mm -hmm. that's how we have the Fontana operation. So, Right. Well, are there specific, um, you know, you mentioned the small SVC that kind of prompted us to do this out of necessity. Were there any specific other preoperative features that may have predicted that this would be successful to use the IVC to PA connection? I think we kind of had to do, make, you know, take a leap of faith and applied the same criteria that we would to hopefully lead to a successful successful Glenn operation, meaning that um, it's important to get calf data to make sure that your PDR is mm -hmm. low, to make sure that your pulmonary arteries don't have any distortion or stenosis. Uh, and of course, if you've got good systemic ventricular function or no AV valve regurg, then you're kind of looking at a good situation mm -hmm. to go into a, a good Glenn. Um, and we kind of use those criteria to also plan this operation. Um, knowing that, you know, at least based on the cath data, we had a very poor SVC, very small. Mm -hmm. All of the other things looked like they would work out, so... Mm -hmm. So, speaking of the small SVC, I mean, there was no guarantee that, that the SVC would grow or change. So, was this meant to be the final step and leave this patient like a largely fenestrated Fontan? We, we kind of really didn't know when we went into this operation because it really hadn't been described before and nobody had long-term follow-up on this. Um, I think in the article that we published after the IVC to PA connection, we kind of left that open in our discussion saying that this could be a last palliation because mm -hmm. the, the physiology and the saturations could be compared to a very largely fenestrated Fontan circulation. Mm -hmm. um, we thought, well, uh, one of the big problems or incentives to even complete the Fontan is that the babies get Progressively blue, purportedly, um, presumably because of the lack of a hepatic factor, mm -hmm. which in this case would be present. Mm -hmm. So we, we we really didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't really plan if this was going to be last palliation, or or if, a stage, or a stage mm -hmm. to a Fontan completion. Um, so I, hmm. I can't really say that we made that decision up front. Up front, but yeah. it worked out yeah. for this patient. Yes. Um, is there a particular weight or age that would preclude the IVC to PA anastomosis in your mind? Or, or you think similar to the conventional gland? Um, well, one of the considerations I would say, I'm not sure there's a true cutoff. Um, and I think it also depends on what baby are we doing this? Is it after a band or a shunt? Mm -hmm. And ultimately the... the variation in gland timing that we have even today. Some some centers prefer to do their glands very early as of three months. Others would mm -hmm. like to wait six, eight months. 
that kind of has to do with what saturations and PDRs are we dealing in the babies. Um, so I can't really say that there's a lower cutoff in age and weight, but probably one of the important considerations, especially if you have to use an extra cardiac conduit, which is not going to grow, mm. um, is well, what is the smallest extra cardiac IVCDPA conduit you would put in? Right. Typically, uh, most centers choose children who are at least two years of age, which corresponds to a Gore-Tex conduit of 16, and on the bigger end would be 20 millimeters of mercury. Mercury. We ended up putting a 14 millimeter mercury, uh, for, sorry, 14 millimeter uh, conduit in this baby. I think anything smaller than that is definitely going to run into 100% reoperation just mm -hmm. to put in a bigger conduit. Right. Um, um, we talked a little bit about the hemodynamics and the evaluation. I think, I guess it's important to point out that it is um, really important to know the hemodynamics before attempting this IVC to PA connection. Would you agree with that? Definitely. Um, we actually had one baby in whom we tried this um, due to similar problems with the upper body systemic venous anatomy, and that had been after a pulmonary artery band. Mm. And for whatever reason, that baby actually didn't get a, a cath in our institution, a pre-glen cath. We had just assumed based on saturations that the pulmonary artery pressures post-band and PDR would be low and proceeded with that. That baby ended up uh, after perhaps a two to three week struggle um, having higher PVRs than we anticipated, and therefore we proceeded with an IVC to PA takedown back to a shunt. And once that baby grew, we, we did a, I believe we did a Glen, but much, much later, almost uh -huh. a year after that. Yes. So, um, yes, I think it's extremely important to not get burnt by um, either incomplete data and or high PA pressures mm -hmm. or high PVRs. And I think just as planning for uh, supravenous cava to pulmonary artery anastomosis, you know, a true glen, um, having low PA pressures, good PA anatomy and low PDRs is really important with a, with a mm -hmm. pre-glen cardiac cath. Um, so moving on to the post-operative piece, are there any specific post-operative challenges that you anticipated? And if so, did you work with the anesthesia and ICU teams to kind of anticipate what, what that might look like? We, we were trying to think of um, the, I would say, anatomically upside-down physiology that we could encounter as compared to what we see after a uh, bidirectional plan using the supravena cava, in which, you know, as you know, we see uh, head and arms which are swollen mm -hmm. due to high CVPs, uh, which are, you know, obviously your PA pressures, um, headaches, uh, mm -hmm. bradycardia, hypertension, etc. We were trying to think of what, what would be the scenarios given lower body, uh, high venous pressures, systemic venous pressures. Um, so we were maybe anticipating um, ascites, mm -hmm. liver failure, um, leg edema, maybe some sort of precursor to uh, protein-losing enteropathy. And mm -hmm. I would say surprisingly we didn't have any of those in the acute um, setting of the, of the operation, this 
infant got extubated after three days and left the ICU, and I actually went home after eight, eight days. Um, with regards to preparing the ICU and or anesthesia um, in the operating room, we put in a direct intracardiac line, which is going to be our CVP monitoring, mm -hmm. since uh, we isolate the heart from that standpoint. And the femoral venous line, mm -hmm. which was put in as a central venous pressure monitoring line, ended up being our PA pressure. Right. So you know that, that was with, with anesthesia. And otherwise, um, we tried to go along the same principles of early extubation mm -hmm. That we would have with the with the Glenn, Glenn otherwise managed. in the ICU, and fortunately that then that that seemed to work. Right, and I think also having multidisciplinary meeting preoperatively and discussing kind of that this is the plan and what to anticipate is usually helpful as well. Um, as far as moving on to the Fontan, you know, you followed the Southern Glen with the Northern Fontan. Were there specific hemodynamic parameters that prompted moving along? Um, evaluation of the growth of SVC, um, did you repeat a cath, those types of things? This may be actually kind of, uh, I think in this case, forced our hand. Again, we, we didn't know what the physiology of this was going to be like. Um, I would say one of the perhaps midterm to late phenomena that we had an anticipated did actually happen in this baby, meaning that the baby did develop venovenous collaterals, and how did we find out about that? Is that progressively after, uh, I believe, a year and a half, the baby's saturations uh, started coming down. Initially, when the infant left the hospital, we, we were somewhere in the mid-80s with no oxygen, uh, but also Dunafil that we had put on for some small-sized PAs. Um, the saturations dipped down into the low 70s, which prompted a cath at approximately a year and a half of age. And during that cath, there were, there were some large, or at least one very large venovenous collateral that developed from the IVC to the SVC. Mm -hmm. um, that collateral was coiled successfully with an initial improvement in saturations. We thought, well, maybe we've bought ourselves a lot of time and maybe we don't have to do anything. Um, subsequently, the, the, the child's, at that point, the child's saturations came down again to what we would expect after a long-standing normal Glen. And it was decided that based on catheter imaging of a large SVC that had grown and saturations were, that were just too low to really be able to mm -hmm. leave that child palliated that way, that we would proceed with the completion fontan. Um, and I think we found probably one of the explanations as to why that happened um, intraoperatively. We had put in a pericardial roll instead of a standard mm -hmm. vortex roll because we thought that it kind of fit the geometry better. And intraoperatively, we, we found a very important intimal peel that literally must have been limiting pulmonary blood flow from the IVC to the PAs by least one-third flow, mm. if not more, and you can imagine that in a low-pressure venous system, mm -hmm. if it's not going to come up the IVC mm -hmm. and through the carnet, it's going to find another way to the PAs. At least that's the only explanation that I can think of that would force collaterals to go in a different uh -huh. direction and make the SVC grow. Mm. Um, and that, that kind of prompted for us to go in the direction of a completion fontan with a what we call a, a northern 
Fontan mm -hmm. by just doing you know, an SVC to PA mm -hmm. connection, which completed the Fontan. Um, well, during the back to the Southern Glen for a second, but during the completion of the Southern Glen, did you have any plan if it didn't seem to be immediately successful? Or was there a bailout? I think the only bailout was to take your take it glen down. down and go back to a shunt, mm -hmm. as you would for you know, another, a failed glen. Another failed glen. Mm -hmm. um, and longer term, when you in the stage between the glen and the Fontan, um, you mentioned that your patient was discharged on sildenafil. Um, is this going to be part of a standard regimen if you had to do this again? Well, I, I would hope not. Mm -hmm. um, we always like to keep things simple if possible. Uh, some of our glands that are struggling, our standard glands, uh, go home with sildenafil and oxygen mm -hmm. based on criteria that, you know, if, if we think that we have no surgical anastomotic uh, stenosis mm -hmm. and the PA anatomy is what it is, we put them all sildenafil empirically and hope that the PAs grow and take care of themselves. Um, that ended up being the same case with, uh, with this uh, infant who at some point, you know, the PAs mm -hmm. grew and was able to be weaned from the sildenafil and oxygen. Um, so hopefully And it seemed to help us shorten the post-operative course in this patient. Correct, correct, but uh, I'm not sure it's going to be part of the protocol. Uh -huh. um, and one last question, I mean, I guess, or comment, I've noticed, noted in recent literature that um, another hospital has reported another similar patient. Um, do you have any comments about that or know anything about that? They, um, it, it, well, I would say it's encouraging to see that somebody mm -hmm. else has attempted it and it's worked for them. Uh, they actually described the same operation that we initially did in Zurich that we didn't publish, which was they also encountered a baby which had a very long IBC mm -hmm. and who mobilizing the PAs to the IBC was uh, feasible and uh, successful to do the anastomosis without any interposition or foreign material. Um, they actually had a very similar uh, follow-up post-operatively and did a completion fontan at the age of two years in that uh, child. So they also used it as part of a uh, reverse strategy mm -hmm. given bad anatomy um, to, to be able to achieve fontan physiology. Uh, I would say it's encouraging. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe there will be other reports. Uh, it's... I'm not sure if this has a future as a primary planned type of operation, but it's good to have as a bailout if you really an alternative strategy. An alternative strategy. Mm -hmm. Well, congratulations on your successful patient and introducing an alternative strategy for complex patients who may not, you know, previously may not have had a a, a good strategy for moving forward. And it sounds like it was successful in this in your patient and in the other facilities patient. So. Thank you very much, and thank you for participating in our interview today. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Please look out for our next episode on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Or subscribe to get the latest episodes as they're released. Check out our website at pcics.org. The song I Don't Know by Grapes was used under a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license.